As the world of baseball often takes place when I'm fast asleep, I'm bringing America's favourite pastime to me, to my time zone in Europe. My name is Jasper Spanjai, and in the Past Pastime podcast, I'm trying to find out how the game of baseball impacted the lives of those who've been in and around the game, and how lessons from the game can be used in our everyday lives. Even if you, like me, couldn't hit a baseball if your life depended on it. My first guest is commonly described as one of the most respected figures in baseball, Fred Clare. Fred started his career in journalism before being hired by the Los Angeles Dodgers in their public relations department. Working his way up the ranks, Fred was later named as general manager of the Dodgers in a time where I wasn't nearly being born in 1987. I hope you'll enjoy this conversation as much as I did. But a little bit about you. You started writing about baseball before you went over to the operational side of it. Well, as a, uh, as a youngster uh, growing up in a small town in Ohio, uh, I absolutely loved sports. I loved competing. I loved playing. Uh, and basketball really was the biggest sport in our little town. There were only 30 members of my class in this little town in Ohio, Jamestown, Ohio. So we weren't big enough to have um, football. Uh, We were barely big enough to have um, a baseball team. Uh, Basketball was really in Ohio, was the sport. Uh, My dream was to be the point guard on the uh, high school basketball team, the Silver Creek team. Uh, in Jamestown, Ohio. And so I I knew early on that uh, I I wanted in my life uh, to be connected to sports. I mean, that was my my father owned the corner drugstore in this little town. Um, My mother's father had been a pharmacist and the family was into uh, that part of the business. But but my interest was sports. And I really felt uh, early on that there were probably uh, two paths. The one that seemed logical to me uh, was coaching because I was a, could scout well enough to know early on that other than maybe at the high school or junior college level, my athletic talent wasn't going <laughs> to, to take me beyond that. And through fate and curiosity, uh, I became interested in writing because I loved sports so much. So to write about it. And, uh, and I saw that as a path to let me stay connected for a lifetime in something that I love. And indeed, uh, through being on the student a newspaper once my family moved to California, uh, writing uh, on the, uh, uh, doing some, a uh, little bit of writing on the local paper, a very good high school journalism instructor. Uh, I saw that that's where I wanted to be. And so I went to college, first to a junior college with the interest in journalism, and then uh, uh, went to San Jose State with a great journalism program. And um, two or three days after I graduated, 
I was working for a newspaper in Southern California, uh, the Whittier Daily News, moved on to the newspaper in Pomona, and then um, uh, went to Long Beach with an opportunity to cover uh, Major League Baseball, to cover the Angels in 1969. Uh, then the next year, uh, had the chance to take the Dodger beat, which was really the prestige beat for baseball in, uh, in Southern California. And in uh, 1969, started covering the team, went to spring training, and as fate would have it, an opportunity to join the Dodgers in publicity in July of 1969. I, I know the date is how it's marked, not by me joining the Dodgers, but by the man walking on the moon. Uh, <laughs> that was my, that was, uh, uh, that was uh, memorable, uh, memorable uh, for the world, memorable for me. And so I started with the Dodgers uh, as publicity director in 1969, which started a 30 year career with the Dodgers. And that, that is just in itself a remarkable sort of, <laughs> there's a lot of faith there that, as you mentioned, you must have had some faith as well that you, <laughs> that it would all uh, go according to, to, well, someone's plan. <laughs> well, fate or luck and the, the quote by the great Dodger baseball man and perhaps the greatest Dodger, perhaps the greatest baseball executive of all time, Branch Rickey who brought Jackie Robinson into the game. And Mr. Ricky, and he's always referred to as Mr. Ricky, even by all who knew him. Uh, he talked about luck and he was quite a speaker, quite an orator. And he said, luck is the residue of design. And I think there's a lot of truth in that. I think from the standpoint, maybe in more basic terms, the harder you work, the luckier you get. That's something that we should put on the wall, I think. That's, uh, <laughs> that works. How did that sort of writing side prepare you for what you would do later on in life? You wouldn't know that you would become, you know, end up becoming the general manager, the one that makes the decisions for such a prestigious franchise, but how did the writing side help you? A good question, because many thought, when I, I went from, with the Dodgers publicity director, to vice president of public relations and promotions to executive vice president to executive vice president general manager so many people have written and said that well fred you uh, your background in journalism helped you uh when you became executive vice president or executive vice president general manager because you understood the press and that's nice, there may be some truth to that, but I really think that it was more of my background, uh, wonderful parents and common sense. But the wonderful thing about writing is you have to think and, and you, you have to, in your mind, uh, be able to uh, use the words to 
write or to articulate or to think and to consider. I think that uh, journalism, it's perhaps the most important part of journalism is the um, developing of, uh, of thoughts. And also uh, if you work at it, and hopefully all journalists do, to take a, a broader view in many ways, not, not to be so focused here and really, and hopefully for our journalists of today, not to have a preconceived thought about what you're going to present. Be, be curious, be a student, be open to ideas, and I think that that part of my life, from my viewpoint, it's better for others to judge, helped me to be a, um, as good as an administrator, as good as an executive as I could be. Not because I was um, uh, writing about the Dodgers. I mean, there, there was the advantage there of getting to know the people, but it's more the, uh, uh, I think the, the the mental aspect of that that uh, that helped me. I, I suppose the idea of that as you're writing, you know, that's something I notice often myself. That y when you're writing, you have to understand what you're writing about. Yes. So th there's not only a sense of you know doing your due diligence and reading about it and 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 reading well a lot about it, and then but also formulating those thoughts into one paragraph. So. You're essentially doing a sort of a process. You're going through a yes. process every time you write something. Yes. And uh, who, what, where, when, and why. I mean, you know, uh, what, what, tell me. And, and I would say as an executive in baseball, we, were, we would talk about a player and judging him or maybe a player we were trading for, a player in our system. Uh, tell me about him. I want, what's he like? I, I can see his talent, but what, what's his work ethic? Mm -hmm. what, what's his dedication? What, what, what are his habits? Uh, what, what drives him? What motivates him? How, how does he handle failure? Uh, tell me about the, the player in depth. I, I want to know because with, and with, Sports and baseball and our world turning so much to analytics, which has such great meaning. And I've been the co-founder due to a wonderful friend who's really a genius in technology and analytics, graduate of Caltech, Caltech man of the decade. So I understand analytics, but, but it has to be the combination of using all of your resources. And in a way, I hadn't thought so much about it. I guess that gets into journalism in terms of the journalists being inquisitive, wanting to really find the story and being able to reach over here 
or over there or something that's not even being said that may be hinted at <laughs> to bring it fully into focus. So we're going to make our best decisions. We're going to make our best decisions in life when we understand the question at hand. If we talk about European sports, I don't think much is measured. I think they look at sort of how many goals has he scored, how many goals has he assisted, or goalkeeper-wise, defence-wise, they look at clean sheets. Um, but with baseball, it's just taken on a whole... It's literally become a whole different ball game. You know, you've got Wobar, you've got Vorp, you've got all these different abbreviations. It sounds like I'm making them up. Has the game become better from it is what I wonder. I think it's... Um... I think it's critically important, but um, the, one of the th things that I have said a number of times um, in interviews is that perhaps the most underrated part of a scouting report comes under a very basic heading of character or makeup. What is that? athlete all about. I, I don't care what the sport is. I don't have to understand soccer to know this. Uh, how does he get along with his teammates? What, what is he like? Is he the first guy at practice or the last guy at practice? Does he listen to his coaches or doesn't he listen to his coaches? Does he have trouble ha handling any adversity or does he seem to be up to every challenge? Is, is he there uh, consistently with, with the, the winning kick when least expected? Or does he simply have the problem of missing what appeared to be the easiest kick at the most important time? So the, the, the character of the athlete, and, and it really isn't any difference in business itself. Those factors carry over. The, one of the books that I highly recommend for anyone interested in uh, business is um, one that I lectured on and had a chance to communicate with the author, Jim Collins, in Good to Great. What is it? What is it that makes a good company great? What are the common denominators that enable greatness in a company or indeed in an individual? Because there are common characteristics. And uh, so again, I think it's a matter of being a student. Moneyball was one of the first baseball related films I think I ever saw and to me that was just like there's you know it's, it's, it's become a language on its own the saber metrics everything around it it's just become a language of its own and um, nowadays you just hear people talk about all these different sort of metrics that they look at and oftentimes I'm thinking to myself are these people even just are they, do they know what they're talking about? <laughs> Aren't we just forgetting that these are actual human beings? Yeah. 
you know, one thing that's become particularly clear to me, you know, following soccer over the past few years is that those those you know you, you could have the most talented individuals in the world and they could literally do everything with a soccer ball that i couldn't even dream of doing but they don't have one thing and that's the sort of backbone of a character and the idea of that they want to work for it yeah and I'm, I'm just wondering how was that during your time in professional sports with the dodgers how 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 much did you lean into that where you thought well you know this guy he comes across, you know, he's got all the tools in the world. Um, but for me, he's just not got the right character. You don't need to name any names, but. Well, I think you, I found in my life that career that actually some of the uh, most talented players fail to meet the accomplishments to match their level of ability. And um, others, because of their character. And I think our 1988 World Championship team, that's now been more than 30 years ago, of course, but a celebrated team, certainly. Because in um, 86 and 87, our team had been 16 games under 500, uh, which is in no man's land, uh, and then won a World Championship. One of the things, because of my own beliefs, was to look for that element of character in a player. And Kirk Gibson, who hit the home run, is known for many things, but perhaps the thing he's known most for is his makeup and his character with, with a lot of talent combined. I saw the uh, great Dodger teams, the young players who came up and are lifelong friends, a famous infield Garvey Lopes Russell say, they were all great competitive people who wanted to be on that field every single day. You could not get them out of the lineup. There was not, oh, my shoulder hurts a little today, or <laughs> I don't feel quite right, or whatever. No. I signed, um, and it's been wonderful to see him turn around his life, the player Daryl Strawberry, who had enormous ability. And when I signed him as a free agent uh, in the early 90s, uh, had been in New York. Uh, and Daryl was at an agent stage where he should have gone on to be one of the great, great players of all time. Uh, it should have been a wonderful story of success on the baseball field. It wasn't because Daryl became involved with drugs and never ever reached from a baseball standpoint. I'm not being critical of, of Daryl as, uh, as a person because certainly he has from everything that I've seen really changed his life around, uh, become uh, not just religious, but a, uh, a spiritual leader in his own uh, right from what I see in social media. But I, I think, again, it gets back to uh, the ability that you have can only be maximized by the effort that you put in. That's a constant. Now, you can have a player who has a great career, 
but never really achieves what he could have because he didn't have the discipline or the dedication. That to me is always a, a sad story. That's a much sadder story many ways than the guy who never really made it, <laughs> but knows in his own heart and everybody around him knows. He, he, he gave. He tried. <laughs> he I mean, everything he had. And, um, and in many cases, um, uh, those are the players indeed who, um, who make something happen, who move beyond um, the God-given ability that they had. And a bit of a personal one for me here. Um, so I find myself on YouTube and I'm looking at, for some reason, I found a full game. I think it was 1996. So that would be a year after I was born. Um, just a random Dodgers Rockies game. And Hideo Nomo was on the mount. And um, yes. I just basically right there and then fell in love with mid-90s Dodgers baseball. <laughs> but let me let me first get back to 1995. So that was a good year because I was born. Um, but it was also the year that a Japanese player made rumblings of wanting to come and play in the United States for the very first time. Um, what do you remember of that time? Well, I remember it well, uh, a chapter and verse, because I had uh, received a call uh, so I guess this, I don't know whether it's the end of 94 or the beginning of 95, if my years are right, uh, from a uh, agent, a well-known agent uh, in basketball by the name of Arn Kellum. And he said, Fred, he said, um, I'm helping a, uh, an agent who's not well-known in baseball uh, by the name of Don Nomura because he has this player that he's representing from Japan and he can't seem to generate much interest. The reason being, there had been, I believe only one player from Japan in Major League Baseball history who had, who had played in the Major Leagues. That was a pitcher who came to the Giants in somewhat unusual uh, circumstances, not as a star player, but uh, anyway, the history of that is all there to be read. He said, would you have an interest, Fred, in this player? His name is Hideo Nomo. And I said, Arn, I said, uh, I don't have an idea who Hideo Nomo is, but I, I'm interested and I would check. And so that sent me on a search to people uh, in Japan, uh, players who I knew who had played there who is this Hideo Nomo? And the reports came back that this was a uh, outstanding talent. Uh, and I, uh, and also the Dodgers in their history due to the O'Malley family, first Walter O'Malley, who was one of the most, if not the most active owner in trying to grow the relationship between the United States and Japan, and even having the famous Tokyo Giants come to spring training with the Dodgers and have Dodger teams go to Japan. So I knew I had the support of 
Peter O'Malley, the son of Peter O'Malley, is, is now the owner of the team in the 90s. And um, so the more I studied Hideo and heard about it, I, it was a priority. I wanted to do everything we could to sign him. And uh, he had actually come off the shoulder injury, but the reports on his uh, ability, uh, a rather unusual windup and approach, but a, in Japan, a dominant pitcher. And in talking to scouts, players who had faced him, this is a pitcher who not only was dominant in Japan had the ability to be dominant in the major leagues for the Dodgers. And so as I got to know Hideo and I remember meeting a meeting at Dodger Stadium uh, in my office with Hideo and now his agent Don Nomura since we had connected through ARM. And uh, I told uh, 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 Don Nomura wanted a major league contract for Hideo. Well, we had never given a major league contract. You had to be in the minor leagues and earn a major league contract. But what was really striking is when Don talked about this contract, uh, we, we, we want a major league contract. And I said, Don, I said, major league contracts in the history of the Dodgers have never been given. They must be earned. And that's going to be true with Tadeo. And it was very insightful to me. Don uh, translated that to Hideo. And I could see Hideo acknowledge. And the only thing he had one more question. He asked Don to ask me, okay, will I be given a chance to make the major league team? And I told him, you definitely will be given a chance. Actually, as a side note, I told him because it, was, it had to be late in January or February because I said, if you sign with us, I will not sign another free agent pitcher this year. <laughs> I didn't tell him I knew that to be true because I didn't have any more money after I was going to give Hideo the money. That he had <laughs> and, uh, but when you've been fortunate to spend much of your life around great athletes and great baseball players, there is a sense of the people you're dealing with. There, there, uh, he had enough of a background and had been a huge star in Japan. And I really saw Hideo as understanding the challenge, just looking, just give me the chance and I will show you. It was like, it was be like a star in any other field, be it music, be it anything. Give me an opportunity and I will show you that I can perform at the highest level on the stage. And that is exactly, and I had seen it before. I'd seen it with Fernando Valenzuela. Of course, yeah. Almost identical. People don't write that or think about it. Almost identical. When someone 
so believes in their own ability, not just believes in, has used another platform to prepare for the stage. So when you see great actors who seem to come from no place, chances are they didn't come from no place. That they came from preparing for the opportunity. And that's what Fernando did. And that's what uh, Hideo duplicated. And, uh, and certainly one of the highlights was a um, rather uh, rainy type night in Colorado when he pitched, pro I guess now still the only no hitter ever pitched in Colorado, Jasper, you know that better than I. Quite unusual, yeah, that is not a uh, pitcher friendly ballpark as they say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but can you talk to me about that uh, epic run in 1995, the year he made, because he made his debut. I think he, he played in AAA for, he had a AAA appearance. Well, he, he was coming off the injury. So uh, it wasn't, our intent was only to get him healthy. And so um, I remember going to a couple of minor league games to watch him pitch. Uh, I believe his first game, uh, uh, I was there, it was at the Candlestick Park in San Francisco. But uh, as Hideo went through spring training and started to prepare and we got a feel and then it was just a case, there was no question. Uh, this, this, this was a major league pitcher who had been delivered or we had signed from Japan. Uh, he had all of the ability. And so it was just a matter once he became healthy, I remember being at the All-Star Game, I believe in Texas, he was the starting pitcher in the All-Star Game. So he was, um, the stage was his. Uh, uh, in, in many ways, it was, a, uh, it was a gift because no one was scouting in Japan. There was no use to scout in Japan, you couldn't sign a player. And the only reason that Hideo became eligible is that his team in Japan got mad at him through Nomura because of what they were negotiating and basically uh, gave him his free agency, made, made a poor strategic move or he would never have been a free agent. And he opened the door. Think of all the players now. So Hideo is a, a, a pioneer. Uh, Jackie was a pioneer. Um, uh, in, um, in really breaking down a barrier. I mean, different cases, um, but, but that's, that's what Hideo did. And did it with um, style and expertise and determination. And um, um, it's, it's, it's a great story. And a heck of a wind-up, because that is not the most usual wind-up delivery that you see uh, a pitcher make now. <laughs> the, no. the tornado, no, yeah, as yeah, they describe well, it. As did uh, Fernando. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't teach Fernando how to pitch. We taught him uh, through one of our pitchers, Bobby Castillo, how to perfect a screwball. Mm -hmm. We didn't teach Hideo how to pitch. <laughs> Hideo was a pitcher when he arrived. It was just a matter of, um, uh, of giving him the opportunity. Absolutely. And you mentioned um, another pioneer, Jackie Robinson, and you would have been 11 or 12 around that time when he was 
well, he essentially broke the color barrier. He became the first African-American player to make it into the major leagues, to be signed by a major league team, be given the opportunity by the Brooklyn yes. Dodgers. Um, what are your memories of that time? Well, I have um, uh, great memories of, uh, of Jackie. So in 72, I met Jackie for the first time. The Dodgers had never retired a uniform member, and we were going to retire the uniform members of Jackie, Pee Wee, and Campy. So on that date, Jasper, uh, I had the honor to meet Jackie and was standing near him with Don Newcomb and other people. Don Newcomb, the famous Dodger pitcher and former Jackie's teammate. There was a fan in the stands who wanted Jackie to sign a ball. It was early, the uh, fans were just starting to come in, but he had this ball and said, Jackie, Jackie, sign this ball. Jackie's, this is June of 1972. Jackie's diabetes is so bad, he could barely see 10 feet in front of him. The fans threw the ball, it Jackie off the shoulder and bounced off his head. Everybody around Jackie went crazy. Get that guy get that guy, throw him out of the ballpark. They were yelling and screaming and outraged. Jackie, I still can hear him, calm down, calm down. Give me the ball, picked up the ball. Give me a pin, gave him a pin, signed the ball, said give it back to the gentleman. And I thought, I have just witnessed something that is symbolic of the life and the times of Jackie Robinson. When everybody around him lost their emotions, lost their cool, lost their common sense, Jackie understood the objective. Now, fast forward just a few months, the 19, uh, 72 World Series in Cincinnati. The commissioner, Bowie Kuhn, asked Jackie to throw out the first pitch. And Jackie said, I will, if you give me a chance to speak. This is all on YouTube, should be listened to, should be watched, should be never forgotten. Jackie, Jasper, now that you mentioned this, it's fascinating. Before he went out on the field, I was with, again, blessed, Maybe by fate, I don't know. I consider it fortunate to be standing with Jackie, Peter O'Malley, the owner of the Dodger team, other people in Jackie's company. And there's this person approaching. Jackie's eyesight is so bad, he can't see the person approaching until someone whispers in his ear, Jackie, it's Pee Wee. And he and Pee Wee Reese embraced. Now Jackie goes out on the field and went back to review the tape the other day. And Jackie's family, he wanted his family to be there. Uh, but the first person, one of the first people he acknowledges is Pee-wee, the captain. Acknowledges Pee-wee as the captain, his family. And his words, and the reason he was there was to say, baseball's made good progress but I will not be happy until I see, I believe his words, a black man 
in the third base coaching box, meaning really as the manager of the team. Uh, that's the reason he was there. His health not good for a reason. Jackie Robinson passed away nine days later in 1972. So to personalize it, if you would, when I go through City of Hope and cancer treatment, I want to have a golf tournament to benefit City Hope. And I won the golf tournament, part of the golf tournament, wanted one thing for sure. I wanted a celebration life award. Gave it the first year to Rod Carew, the second year to Tommy Lasorda. But I didn't just want to give an award. There's a reason I wanted to give that award. Because on that award, it's someplace on the internet, trophy, celebration of life is a quote, which was the reason I wanted the award. And the quote is as follows. A life is not important except on the impact it has on other lives. Jackie Robinson. That's who Jackie Robinson was, is, and will forever be for equality, for decency, for human rights, for all the right things. Uh, and that's why, in my mind, he is and always will be the greatest Dodger uh, of all time and really the greatest player from that standpoint in terms of contribution in the history of baseball. And it's never been more evident to me and it should not be more evident than ever to anybody among us. It's never been more pertinent than it is today. You previously mentioned your cancer treatment. And what was your, I guess, to go back to 2015, you were diagnosed with cancer in that year. Is that correct? I, I was. It was a, the early diagnosis seemed very, very minor. I had a small spot on my lip barely noticeable, and um, but it seemed to be a little persistent. So I went to see my dermatologist being fair skin. I would go see my dermatologist when I had a spot. In 99% of the cases through the years, uh, it was nothing more than a little spot that could be frozen, non-malignant, move on with life, no problems. On this one, uh, I got a call from uh, Mandy, my dermatologist, saying, Fred, this, uh, we've uh, done the biopsy, and this is a, a little more uh, uh, complex, and you'll need to have a Mohs procedure. So I had a Mohs procedure, which is, um, can be rather minor in scope, and, and one or two swipes, the, the doctor removed the spot, said it looked clear and clean, no problem. And then a year and a half later in 2016, the cancer not only had come back, I was experiencing tremendous pain. A tumor, a cancerous tumor had moved up my jawbone and, uh, and that's not a good thing. So I had to undergo cancer treatment or surgery in 2016 uh, where they removed the, uh, the tumor from my jawbone. 
a cancer in 2019, unfortunately came back in my neck and I had to go I, uh, have a major operation in uh, 2019 where they, uh, uh, three doctors took the fibula bone from my left leg and replaced my jawbone. Uh, so only through um, immunotherapy, through the science of medicine, and through the uh, wonderful skill of the doctors, um, am I uh, here uh, today? And that was the main reason why I saw the great work and wanted to do all that I could to pay tribute to City of Hope as one of many great medical centers and to all the people who are part of the City of Hope. I can imagine and you, um, one of the nuggets that I really liked is that you, in other interviews, you describe them as the best team you had ever encountered. No question, not, not a close call. <laughs> yeah, there, there I, I've been a part, been blessed to be a part of two world championship teams. I term City of Hope my all-time team. Uh, because they have given me uh, additional time. That's beautiful. Now, I think I think the story in itself is, is worth checking out. And I think the, the, the book is exceptional. And um, it just speaks sort of testament to the type of person you are and, and the sort of perseverance that you've shown. It's just, it's an incredibly inspiring story. Well, I, uh, I appreciate that. I, I really, uh, the main objective... Uh, uh, was to, uh, to shine a light on City of Hope and to talk about uh, the caregivers, the people who support the patients who are so important and, uh, and seldom acknowledged in the way that they should be. So um, I, I really uh, wasn't looking for a book that talked about uh, strange this may sound, me or the Dodgers, but that became the vehicle to capture more attention. And what's really been pleasing is that there's several reviews on Amazon and, and one in fact just posted in the last day or so that say, I bought the book to uh, read about baseball, and Fred and the Dodgers. Mm -hmm. The real story is the city of hope. And, and so when that's written by the reader, I, I am uh, very appreciative of the talent of Tim Madigan, the author, because he captured uh, what I hoped uh, would be captured. No, I think once again, it's, it's an exceptional book. And uh... I hope that everyone who listens at least uh, goes to the Amazon page and I believe all the proceeds are donated to the City of Hope as they, well. They are, indeed. That's Thank tremendous. You. Yeah, that's tremendous. Uh, finally, to sort of, to sort of wrap up this, um, this great conversation, um, for me, part of this podcast series is about you know, the sort of things that you learn from baseball just following from afar. I think there are a lot of mantras and mottos and small little nuggets that make this the sport of baseball such a 
brilliant sport to begin with, but then also applicable to real life situations. You know, I always tell people around me that in baseball, if you get on base three out of 10 times, you're considered a good player. So for me, that sort of translates to if I have 10 attempts to, to, to succeed and I fail seven times, then I'm still doing all right. Um, is there anything in, in that the game of baseball taught you that you still use in your everyday life or is that a certain mantra that you take to? I know that through my experiences um, in baseball, the meaning that they uh, have carried over to today, someone will say, Fred, uh, remember when, and it's an experience that they haven't uh, forgotten that was meaningful to them. In other words, be, because sometimes when you're in the game, you have an opportunity to do things that are meaningful, more meaningful to somebody than you, uh, than you realize. And so um, I think that when you can, can do that, do something that can be helpful to others, uh, that that stays uh, with you. And uh, I, I want to, uh, I didn't plan for this, Jasper, but on that subject, I, uh, Los Angeles Times, April the uh, 11th, when you think about uh, meaning of life or things that you do to your question, somehow uh, I say this because I um, wanted to write it down. There's a doctor who had uh, passed away. He was born in 1957. He is quoted here in his obituary, a quote that he had about life. And his quote is, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. And I thought, wow, that, that's a bit of a lesson for all of us. Um, they're going to forget that Fred was a general manager of the Dodgers or what he said here or there. Um, but I, I think that, um, but I think we learn, we, we learn those things. And as to my point, and I didn't plan to even know that that was going to be there. We, we, we learn those things as we go through life in terms of, uh, of, uh, of how we do treat uh, others and uh, the meaning uh, that that has uh, uh, in, uh, in life. So I, I think that's really what is, um, what's important. And, and that's probably what I, as far as learning something, the most meaningful thing is in, um, in our lives, Today, uh, the great basketball coach and a friend, John Wooden, said it best, uh, make each day your masterpiece. So those things that we do 
and the people that we interact with, um, it's kind of um, give our best. I think that's a uh, brilliant way to end it on. Well, you've certainly made me feel blessed to have this conversation. So uh, thank you, Mr. Claire, for your time. I, uh, yes, for, uh, really you're, more than, you're more than welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Past Pastime Podcast. Thanks again to my magnificent guest, Mr. Fred Clare. Keep coming back for more conversations about baseball, life and everything in between. Have a good one.